The Bible tells us that he hears the groaning of our heart. Sometimes our most effective prayer is one that can't even be put in words. I'm sure most of you have been there. You go to pray, your heart is broken, and you don't know what to say, and you just groan. And the Lord knows exactly what you mean. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalms 78. One of my favorite studies is a series of messages that go all of the way through this psalm. I can't remember how many. I think there are 12 or 13 messages that, uh, that I use in that series. But it's all based on verse number 41, which uh, I'll read in just a little bit. Well, let's go ahead and read it. Psalm 78, verse 41. Yea, they turned back. This is speaking of Israel. They turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I read that and I automatically think about the fact that there are many things that I don't understand. A lot of things in life that just uh, not only are seemingly unfair, but actually from a human standpoint, things that are unfair. I don't understand how good people can have such bad problems. Now, I know that God has a plan. I know that's all a part of it. I know that He'll use it for good, and I know there is a reason, but I don't know what the reason is, so, so I don't understand that. I don't understand why my loved ones, my wife, couldn't be in perfect health. I don't understand why some of you, as I look out there and I know about your uh, physical needs, uh, I, I, I don't understand why, uh, why it couldn't be better for you. I happened to notice this week, and I'm not sure exactly who it was on Chris, Chris's uh, page, uh, so I don't know whether it was your mother or Mary Jo's mother, but uh, his grandmother, 99 years old, is that right? Whose mother was that? That's what? All right, and 99 years old, lives by herself, still drives the car, gets out, goes, plays the piano in church, 99 years old, and, and, and so, you, you know, we have to, whenever I th- talk about the things that we don't understand, for our own sanity, we need to balance that out with the, you know, the good things that happen also that we don't understand. But although there are a lot of things I don't understand, there are some things that I am certain of, and one of the things that I'm certain of is that God loves His people and God wants to bless His people. I'm certain of that. There's no doubt about that. I don't think anyone here today would deny that fact. God loves you. God wants the very best for you. Uh, No doubt about it. But I'm also sure that our attitude and our actions affect what God is able to do for us. And that's a scary thought when you stop and think about it. You know, sometimes I feel like that we are walking a tightrope and we're about to lose our balance, which would send us 
crashing down. Uh, you know, so many times, that, and, and, and I'll make this personal, but it can be applied to the church as a whole. There's so many times that whenever knowing myself so well and my faults and my failures, I am so amazed that God is merciful and gracious toward me that that I fear just on any given occasion he could cut it off and be perfectly justified in doing so. In some way or another, we have forgotten about the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit and the fact that he is much more sensitive than what we think. And by that, I mean that what we label as little things can become big hindrances. In other words, a minor flaw can cause a major fall. And too many times we presume on the grace of God. Now, now please listen to what I'm saying. We presume on the grace of God, and by that I mean that we suppose that God is going to bless us regardless of our attitude and our actions. That's so very dangerous for us to presume on His grace. And I, I, mention, I mention all of this because this is what happened to Israel. Jeremiah mentions the fact in Jeremiah 31 and verse 2, it talks about the fact that they found grace in the wilderness. They certainly didn't deserve any of the blessings that they had, whether it was the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, the promise of the promised land, or anything they experienced. They did not deserve that. There was grace for them in the wilderness. But notice here in our text it says, They turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I don't understand why the grace of God would bless me so much, nor do I understand how that we who have experienced the grace of God could despise the grace of God and limit what God wants to do for us as His children. You know, we talk a lot about appreciating God's blessings and not nearly enough, but we do appreciate what God has done and seeing, you know, that God is so good. I don't know how we could not be thankful but we should also be amazed when we consider God's holiness and our sinfulness, we should be amazed that God is willing to bless us at all. In the light of all of our many imperfections, to think about receiving the least of His favor is, is just, well, there's only one way to describe it, and that's by grace. That's the only way to describe it, because none of us deserve anything. Thinking about this, you know, I can't, I can't help but wonder how much better it could be if we were better. Think about it. How much better it might be were we better than what we are. And by the way, we've all got room for improvement. If you're here and you think you couldn't be any better than what you are, you've got a serious problem. And I wonder how many blessings we are deprived of due to our own depravity, our acts, 
of sin, our absences of sin, our attitude that's out of the will of God, whatever it might be. And so many times we act as though God is indifferent to our sins and we assume that like Santa Claus, you know, that he is going to going to bless us anyway. But the Bible says we are to grieve not the Holy Spirit. Terrific things happen when we glorify God. Terrible things happen when we don't. And I'm really convinced that God wants to do more for us. As individuals and corporately as a church, God wants to do more for us than what we allow Him to do. We rob ourselves of blessings because we limit what God can do in our life. We miss getting His best by not giving our best to the Lord. They limited, notice, they limited the Holy One of Israel. And that's amazing when you think about it. The Creator of heaven and earth, the One who has all power, the One who has all authority, and to think about His puny creatures being able to limit Him to limit the Holy One of Israel. I mean, something about that just doesn't sound right. It doesn't even seem possible. And yet there it is in plain, simple English for everyone to understand. Israel limited what God could do for them, with them, through them. And that's awful and tragic whenever it happens. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, this doesn't relate to me. This is a story out of antiquity. It has no bearing whatsoever on my life, but that's where you're wrong. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul uses this very story that is the failure of Israel in their wilderness wandering. He uses that to illustrate how the same thing can happen to us. And so their failure is an example and a warning for us. Their story is a textbook on how we ought to live. And that's why he said in Romans 15, 4, that the things written aforetime, that is the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through the patience and hope of the Scriptures that we might have hope. In other words, that we might find hope in our time of need by what we learn from the Old Testament. Now, Paul understood the need to be warned. He even included himself. Whenever he speaks to the church at Corinth, he uses the word our and we. Now, think about it. Of all of the men in the Bible, I can't think of anyone that is more spiritual-minded. I can't think of anyone that is a better example other than Christ than the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul sets forth the possibility that he himself could limit the Holy One of Israel, that he could limit what God wants to do in his life. In fact, the thing that Paul greatly feared was that he might become a castaway. Now, by that, he did not mean that he might lose his salvation. That does not mean that he might in some way get to a place in his life that God would take his life. It just meant that he might become unusable in the work of God. That was being a castaway as far as he was concerned. 
That's an awful thought to think about God putting you on the shelf, to think about God being limited in what He can do with you and then through you and then for you. But remember, it's not God's fault. It is we ourselves that in limiting God, we lose what God had to offer, you see. I think every parent here wants the very best for their children. And it is so very heartbreaking when you see them ignoring all of your wise counsel, when you see them refusing to heed the warnings that you give, and they go on stubbornly in their way, and consequently they have to live with less than the best, not because you deprived them, not because you wanted to restrict their joy, but because of the fact that they refused to follow your counsel. Notice it tells us here they turned back away from God, and in doing so they limited God. Now, I want you to notice how they were affected by this. They were affected especially in three ways. Number one, in their progress. Over in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us in chapter 1 and verse number 2 that it was an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea that was on the border of going in to the Promised Land. 11-day journey. Now look, the journey was all a part of the plan. That was necessary. God did not just pick them up and bodily set them down in the promised land, although He could have done that, right? But it's all a part of the process, the journey itself. But remember, it's an 11-day journey, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in what should have been an 11-day journey. Their progress was affected as a result of the fact that they turned back and they ignored God and limited what He wanted to do in their life. Deuteronomy 6.23 says, And He brought us out from thence. Now listen to the next phrase. He brought us out. That is, out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, out from servitude. He brought us out that He might bring us in to give us the land which He sware unto our fathers. The purpose in bringing them out was to bring them in. They could be there in 11 days, but they spend 40 years there. Why? Because they lost their vision of God's plan for their life. And their progress stopped, and the wandering began. Let me tell you, when you stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're backslidden. When you get to that place that you're not making progress in your life, that's when the wandering begins. And that's why there are a lot of Christians out there that's spending their life going in circles, just wandering about. If you'll get a map and you'll look up, the wilderness area and realize that there's between two and three million people and to think about them spending 40 years in that little place out there, you'll understand they're just basically going around in circles. There's a lot of activity to the point of exhaustion, but there's no progress. And that's the way it is with a lot of folks. 
They are, they are involved in church maybe. You know, they're doing religious things, but there's no real progress. There's no spiritual growth. They're limiting their progress, limiting the growth that they could have simply because of the fact that they refuse to cooperate with God's plans. Now, not only did it affect their progress, it affected their possessions. You remember when the Lord said, look, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. The houses are already built. You won't have to build your houses. The vineyards are already planted. It's there. I mean, all of these things were there for them to just go in and to inhabit the land, and yet they disregarded His warnings. They disobeyed His commands. They dishonored His authority. And in doing so, they deprived themselves of the blessings. Now think about it. Everything in the promised land had been guaranteed by God Himself. They had been assured that this is all going to belong to you. And so they have everything by way of promise, but nothing by way of possession. Surely there's a lesson there for us, don't you think? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Stop there for a minute. How many folks can you honestly say is really, truly doing that? Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, God is the primary reason for everything they do. God is the one they seek to glorify in everything they do. They're seeking above and beyond everything else, God's kingdom and His righteousness. Now notice the promise. And all of these things shall be added unto you. You know, if we worry about anything, we worry about whether our needs are going to be supplied or not, right? Surely we do, you know. We worry about, can I pay my bills? What am I going to do now? I remember this morning listening to Henry explain the situation there and losing his job after all of these years and the rotten way they went about it and all of that. And, you, you know, it, it's, just, it's just natural that you begin to, to think about, well, what do I do now? The, in, the income's not there, and how, how do I take care of myself and my family? The good news is God said if we seek Him first, all of these things shall be added to you. God has a way of supplying our needs. Amen. In the, think about it. Being in the wilderness, between two and three million people out there in the wilderness, no refrigeration, no Kroger's, no Walmart. I mean, there's nowhere to get any supplies whatsoever. And so whenever they needed food, God just sent quail down from heaven. Boy, I tell you what, if, I, I, if somebody asked what Bev's favorite food is, I, I'd have to say, well, quail or frog legs. I mean, uh, between, you know, it's hard to beat quail. I mean, can you imagine that? God could have sent down graham crackers, something like that. But he, he gave them quail. Amen? 
And then when they got thirsty, what did God do? And you talk about something that seems impossible, this does. He gave them water out of the rock. And I've, I still, to this day, don't understand this next statement, but I believe it. It said, and the rock followed them in the wilderness. I don't know, I'm just childish enough to think in my mind about this great big boulder gushing water out, and, and, and it's tumbling along out there in the wilderness behind them where they've always got a supply of water. Now, I don't think it happened exactly like that. I don't know how it happened. But I know it happened. What I'm trying to say is God takes care of His children when they put Him first. And when we don't cooperate, we limit what God wants to do in our life. God, listen, God cannot supply our needs when we don't put Him first. Think about the prodigal son there in the far country, out of the will of God. And boy, I mean, at the root of that entire problem was selfishness. He said, give me, you know, give me what pertains to me. Just give me what belongs to me, and I'm going into the far country. I'm going to do my own thing, and... And eventually all of the money run out and he's in the pig pen, nothing to eat. And he never did one time receive a welfare check or anything else from the father while he was down there in the pig pen in the far country out of the will of the father. God's under no obligation to take care of any of us, any of us whenever we turn aside from his will for our life. But God has committed him. Now think about this. God has committed himself. God, who cannot lie, has promised, if you'll seek me first, he said, all of these things shall be added unto you. Don't limit God. Because when you do, it'll limit your possessions, it'll limit your progress, and it'll also limit your peace. Whenever they chose to remain in the wilderness, they subjected themselves to many unnecessary hardships. I mean, that was a tough place to live. The land of Canaan was a land of abundance. He described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, there's everything there, but in the wilderness there was no rest. I mean, it was traveling and traveling and traveling. No rest. There was no peace to be found out in the wilderness. There were difficulties, disappointments, discontentment. There were debates, danger, disaster, and even death as a result of it. Now remember, all of that happened as a result of the choice they made. It's not something that God imposed upon them contrary to their will, It's not, you know, that God was in a bad mood and he thought to himself, I'm just going to show them, you know, how angry I am and make life as miserable as I can. It wasn't a choice that God made, but a choice that they made. And we've got to understand our choices have consequences, good or bad. Whenever we choose to act contrary to the will of God, It's going to have consequences. When we entertain an attitude that's contrary to the will of God, it has consequences. That's why I started out by saying sometimes I feel like that we're walking a tightrope. And just at any minute, 
that it could cause a downfall. There's so many times I, I, I think to myself it would be so nice to have some kind of a big felder around me where nothing but the good news came in. Well, if anybody here thinks I'm spying on them and I'm trying to find out all of the bad stuff on them, you know, boy, you don't know how wrong you are. I don't want to know. I don't. And the sad thing is, so many times I do know. I see that so many times that people, they think they're hiding things, you know. They, they, they think that, that their sin is hidden. They think nobody knows about it. And it's right there, it, just glaring for everybody to see except them. And they're blinded by their own sinfulness to the point that they do not understand the dangerous situation they're in. It's that tightrope. And I'll tell you, one misstep, and it's going to bring about your downfall. There are so many Christians in the wilderness today traveling in circles, active, exhausted, but not making any progress whatsoever. Deuteronomy 6.24 says that all of this, God brought them out to bring them in, to give them the blessings. And, and he makes a statement here. He says, for our good always. Have you ever thought about that? For our good always. God is so much more concerned about you than what you think. He really is. God is deeply concerned about every one of you. And he wants to give you much more than what, than what you're ready to accept. Don't put any limitations on what he wants to do. Notice the phrase, they limited who? The Holy One of Israel. That is so important because it, th- that description of God reminds us that God never does any wrong. He's the Holy One in Israel. He is a holy God. A holy God who longs to do us good always. Why would we want to limit a God like that? I, I, I don't know why. I mean, that's contrary to common sense. For God to say, I want to do you only good always, and for us to say, no, never mind, I've got a better plan, doesn't make any sense at all. Not only that, but when we do that, it disregards God's authority. He's the Holy One of Israel. We're talking about God. It's not just a matter of ignoring the preacher. It's not just a matter of ignoring your parents. When you refuse to walk in the light of His Word, you are disregarding God's authority. You are disrespecting God's affection. Isn't it a terrible thing as a parent to, you know, to love your children and, and for for them to treat you in a way that is disrespectful of the great love that you have for them. 
And it happens all the time. Every parent here knows what it is to be heartbreaking as a result of the fact that you love your children dearly and they do things that are disrespectful concerning your affection for them. Not only that, it defeats God's aim for your life. God has a plan for your life. And it is better than anything you can ever imagine. It's better than anything you can ever conjure up yourself. It's a perfect plan for your life. And whenever you refuse to cooperate with His plan, you destroy His aim for your life and limit Him, and that deprives you of the abundance that He wants to give. They limited the peace that they could have had. You know, we think a lot about personal peace, don't we? I don't know of anybody that just says, you know, I want to be miserable every day. It's such a wonderful thing to be at peace in your heart. The Bible says it's a peace that passeth all understanding. Everything in the world is going wrong, and and there's just a, a perfect peace in your heart that God gives. Bev and I was talking about that the other day talking about the fact that God's grace is sufficient, but God never gives the grace until the time of need. You know, so many times we think, oh, I could never go through this or that. And and uh, I, I went to the doctor with her the other day and before he ever said a word. And, and, and I went because I, you know, I realized there was a possibility the report might not be good. And yet God gave her a calmness before she ever received the news from him, there was already a calmness and a peace in her heart. Just knowing God's in control. Now listen, and I'm through. If you want the peace of God that passeth all understanding, you've got to be at peace with God. You can't have the peace of God till you are at peace with God. Those of you that are unsaved, the only way to ever be at peace with God is to be reconciled to Him. Reconcile means that two opposing parties are brought together into agreement. And it's only Christ that can make that possible. You can be reconciled to God today. You can be at peace with God and enjoy the peace of God. But one more word. And that is if you're here and you're a child of God out of the will of God, you're probably more miserable than any unsaved person that, that, that exists on the earth because they don't even see their need. And as a child of God, you know what your need is. You know what your problem is. And you know deep in your heart that you're out of the will of God, that He's not pleased with your life. You know you're putting limitations on what God wants to do with you, through you, and for you. And you're putting those limitations on God, and you are miserable. Let me tell you, the only hope of you having that peace restored is for you to confess your sin. Whether the sin is an act, an absence in your life, or an attitude that shouldn't exist, whatever it is, until you confess that and make that right, you'll never have the kind of peace that God wants you to enjoy. It's your choice. It's your choice. God's not going to make it for you. It's your choice. 
Uh, we know what Israel did. Amen. They made the wrong choice. And they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness instead of being in the blessed promised land. Don't limit God. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for your exceeding great and precious promises that assure us of great blessings if only we give you first place in our life. And dear God, how dare we give you any less? You deserve so much more than we could ever possibly give you. And so may we not miss your best for our life. May we give our very best and do the best we can to glorify you in all things. And Heavenly Father, for that man, woman, some boy or girl that's here today that's never been saved, and they know nothing about the peace of God and the joy of salvation and the hope of heaven and the deliverance of sin, God today speak to their heart and may the Holy Spirit do a work in their life and draw them to the place of salvation. May they leave here today with the joy bells ringing in their heart, knowing that heaven is their home. For we ask it in Jesus' name.